Welcome to the Lighthouse Fellowship of Friends Sunday Message Podcast. Jim Barcliffe, Pastor. Lighthouse Fellowship of Friends is located at 925 3rd Street in League City, Texas. We have a 1030 Sunday morning service and a 930 adult Bible school. We do have children's church during our regular worship service. We invite you to come to worship with us. We hope to see you. Have a blessed week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and how great you are. And just thank you, Lord, today that, that you reached down and, and you sent Jesus that we may know you. And, Lord, we just thank you for his resurrection. We thank you, Lord, today that he volunteered and laid his life down to save us from our sins and, Lord, to prepare us for eternal life. In fact, Lord, when we receive Christ, we even step into that realm already. But we thank you today as we see that beginning to unfold even more and more in the world situation and the things that are happening around us each and every day. But Lord, watch over your children. Protect us. I pray protection over every person here today. And I pray against the evil one. Protect us from the evil one that's wanting to kill, steal, and destroy. And we ask you, Father, uh, that we would sow through the Spirit and not to the flesh. And we would be built up and we would mature and bear the fruit of the Spirit, O oh Lord. We thank you. We ask you, Lord, to do a mighty work. Grow us up in Christ in this, in this place, O oh God, in our lives individually and also, Lord, corporately, but also as families. We ask you to just grow us up, mature us. We know we've been predestined in the likeness of Jesus. We know that today. And, Lord, your plan is already set before us because Jeremiah 29, 11 says that, that you know the plans you have for us, not to harm us, but plans to give us a hope and a future. And I pray that today we would walk in your purposes and your destiny. Father, we pray that you would guide Lighthouse Fellowship into all truth, <clears throat> guide us into where you would have us to be. In this crucial time that we see, Lord, that things around us seem to be just so uncertain, and unsteady. We pray today that we would be that true lighthouse, as we know the name here in Furs, the lighthouse that will lead people to Christ, O oh God, and, and prevent them from dashing their lives against the rocks. And we pray today that you would touch us and guide us, fill us, O oh Lord, and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have also a couple here that uh, Trish gave me, Brenda and Ann and Cody and pray for healing for them. They'll go in the bulletin also. So be in prayer for them also, if you would. <clears throat> Turn to John chapter 11. Last week we talked about the anointing of the Holy Spirit in Numbers chapter 11. Moses said, I wish all of God's people would be prophets. Prophecy is very important. Um, and what we see today is God begins to prepare his people and believing that we're all coming to the unity of the faith and all the positions, the giftings, and the Holy Spirit being released in the body of Christ. And uh, we need the power of the Lord. <clears throat> we need to be filled with the Lord each and every day. And I encourage you, ask the Lord to fill you every day with the Spirit of the Lord. He's real faithful to do that. And um, the way he does it and what you experience as a result, that is his uh, business. But I'll tell you, something happens when you begin to look and want to walk in the fullness of Christ. We need his power each and every day. We see the uncertainty things. I was just praying of, of the world situation today. I mean, they're, they're just hotbeds of 
of things all over the place, aren't they? And uh, even here recently, uh, last couple days, uh, bombing of Syria and things that are happening there, the tensions between big superpowers that we see happening. And we don't know that end time when Jesus will come back, but the Bible tells us, Jesus said, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know the signs of the times. I want you to study the Word of God and, and to know the time and to be prepared and get ready because he could come back at any moment. But when we look at John chapter 11, I want to talk about a genuine miracle. And I want to tell you what I see happening in the world today because uh, we have to be discerning as to what's going on. There's so many things in the supernatural that are being promoted out there today. You see them on TV. Uh, you see the different shows that it, it <clears throat> sort of uh, points to supernatural and, and much of it, if not all of it, is certainly not pointed towards uh, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got John Edwards on there, and he's given sort of fortune-telling and, and all types of things that are happening. And uh, this was not always so. There's a swing in the pendulum, so to speak, that uh, false signs and wonders and false miracles are, are taking place. And I want to show you today a little bit about how to discern a genuine miracle. And we look here at the uh, resurrection of Lazarus, when we, uh, a, a story that we all know. And I'm just going to read just a few verses here. If you'll look at John chapter 11, and we'll look at verses um, actually 38, beginning in 38. And we'll, we'll refer back and forth a little bit, but I'll read from, from verse 38. And then Jesus, again groaning within himself, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was, was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Very important. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. And so they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And he who was dead, Lazarus, came out with his hands and feet wrapped with grave clothes and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. A dead man has just been raised, Lazarus. He was a friend of Jesus' here. <clears throat> and we see that actually it's the story of Jesus' last great miracle before his crucifixion, the resurrection of Lazarus. Miracles play a central role in John's gospel. In chapter 20, he tells us the purpose of the book. In verses 30 and 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Greek word for miraculous signs is simeon. A sign is something that points us to something else. The miracles John records are designed to point us to Jesus as the Messiah. 
and that we see. But these are written that you may believe. In these first 11 chapters, John records eight miraculous signs. First of all, in chapter 2, he turned the water into wine. And then again in chapter 2, he cleansed the temple. In chapter 4 of John, he healed the officer's son. In chapter 5, he healed the man at the pool of Bethsaida. In chapter 6, he fed the 5,000. In chapter 6 again, stilling, he stilled the storm. In chapter 9 of John, he healed the man born blind. And then here in chapter 11 was the resurrection of Lazarus. So this morning, I want to consider the resurrection of Lazarus, and I want us to keep this question in mind. What are the characteristics of a genuine miracle? Miracles are a significant aspect of proclaiming the gospel effectively. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. God does not limit himself to human reason. Our gospel is a supernatural gospel for today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still heals the sick. He still saves the lost. He still delivers those who are oppressed by the devil. And when the gospel was preached with signs following in the book of Acts, the kingdom of God advanced mightily. And even today, throughout the world, when the gospel is preached with power and a demonstration of that power, people commit their lives to Christ. I remember around 25 years ago, and God was working in my heart and life and some things, and I had um, been raised in the church and so forth, but I had really never uh, really encountered what I felt like an encounter with the Lord until there uh, in my uh, mid-30s. And I remember there, after that happened, I began to look at what God was doing throughout the world. And I remember what was happening in South America. And in Argentina, they were having a revival. And I remember that there were many teachers that were teaching what was happening in South America that was not happening in North America was because of, obviously, the miraculous signs and wonders that were taking place throughout the country of Argentina and other countries in South America. That people would see that and it point to Jesus and, and God would get the glory and people would, there was a mass influx of people coming into the kingdom of God. In fact, there's a lot of Catholicism there in South America, but the Pentecostal movement has been one of the predominant movements there in that particular in South America where many people have given their hearts and lives to Christ. By the way, is Andrea and her family will be with us next week from uh, South America, Ecuador. So uh, I look forward to having her. We'll be with her this week. But look at what happens, how God demonstrates and shows himself there. As Paul said, I didn't come to you just trying to explain on my own reasoning ability that Christ is the Savior and the Messiah. I came with a demonstration of the power of God. I came with the anointing that we talked about last week of the, of the, the Holy Spirit of God speaking through you to people whose hearts many times are so hard that it seems like there's no way that they'll make a profession for Christ, Jesus Christ. 
And yet God can come and break that uh, hardness and, and enter in because of the power of the Spirit, because of a demonstration of God's power. And when confronted by his enemies in John chapter 10, Jesus referred those skeptics to his miracles as proof to his commission from God. And he says this in verse 38. Even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father here. On the one hand, miracles validate God's involvement. Nicodemus, remember, was right when he said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In John chapter 3, the miracles were a significant proof that God was working through Jesus. On the other hand, the Bible warns us not to believe every spirit, but to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. 1 John chapter 4. Just because something is supernatural does not necessarily mean it's of God. In fact, it may be of the devil. It's important to be able to tell the difference. And that's what I want to teach this morning because I think it's so, so very, very important. And as we move into what I believe, as God begins to move across the world today, I believe that you will see signs and wonders and you will see miraculous things happen. And we as God's people need to know and to discern what is real and what is counterfeit. Because you see, everything God does, the enemy can counterfeit. And most of the time he does. And we have, as God's people, need to know that. In fact, I've, I've often said that one of the, the greatest gifts, the spiritual gifts that we need as God's people in, in our lifetime is the spirit of discernment, spiritual discernment. We need discernment, don't we? The Bible says that in the end times that even the elect would be deceived if God did not pull his hand back, if God had not protected them otherwise. That even the elect, even those who were, were solid in Christ. So things are going to get sort of dicey. Things are going to get treacherous as we see the end of time coming by, or the end of this age anyway. So there, is a, there has come an... Uh, an interesting shift in our society. You think about this. A few decades ago, humanism was the predominant influence in our secular society. It was in vogue to be skeptical of anything supernatural. People proudly claimed to be totally scientific in their approach to reality, denying anything that could not be demonstrated in the laboratory test tube. Everything <clears throat> they were scientifically minded. That was a few decades ago. And for many people, that limited worldview proved to be totally inadequate explanation of reality. It denied far too many undeniable experiences. So there has come here in America today, the pendulum is swinging back, an unprecedented receptivity to the miraculous. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to proclaim the living God, but this change, this openness to the supernatural is not without its problems uh, that go along with it. And as I mentioned, <clears throat> just turn on the TV or look at, uh, and I don't turn it on, please don't. I, I misspoke there. Don't turn it on. Take my word for it. And, and the movies and things, the supernatural things that are happening in the movies today and, and the promotion, and what's their show on TV? 
uh, and I don't watch it because I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't dare watch this stuff. It's called Lucifer, right? Isn't that on there? I saw it on the, it's not a table of contents on the TV or whatever it's called, <laughs> the, the TV guy. Uh, we're having a major thing as far as the supernatural, but it's not of the Lord. We've got people that are uh, predicting the future, and yet they're not of God. They're not doing that. They're not sharing these things. And I'm going to share with you because it's so important about this. Because most people who accept the supernatural do not have much discernment between the hand of God and the hand of the devil. They're enticed and led astray by lying wonders, partly because they're not familiar with the real thing. I've heard that the way banks teach their employees to spot counterfeit money is to teach them what the real thing looks like. And you and I need to know what the real thing looks like to be able to discern what's happening today. All these things, there are games out there today, uh, <clears throat> Dungeons and Dragons and all, all this kind of stuff that, that, are, that are not good at all. And I want to tell you, just as, as most of us are parents and grandparents in here, and, and always keep, don't let your children watch that stuff. Keep them away from it. There's an inroad that the enemy has when we open up you know, um, <clears throat> we open up our souls to these things. And as young children, you see, the secular, the devil knows how to work in uh, the advertising and in the, the, uh, the business of, of, of television and so forth of, and all these types of shows. He knows to get them while they're young. Put, put that in there when they're young. And they open their hearts to that and they look at it and they just take it. And before long, they become so accustomed to it is that they're kind of drug into it. It's very subtle. Remember, Satan is very subtle in what he does. He doesn't come with you to you with horns and a pitchfork. He's very subtle. He works behind the scene. And he wants to take our children down. And we see that today. It's happening. Children today have no idea who Jesus Christ is. They're not in church today. Or this place would be packed out with children. They're not in any way being taught spiritual things by their parents because their parents are too busy to be able to be involved in the children's lives. Their jobs and, and just life itself has taken over to a point to where God doesn't even play first, second, third, fourth, or way down the line. And that's why we have a, a, a culture, society, that is bankrupt and the fabric of our culture is being torn to pieces because we haven't raised up our children knowing the truth. You'll know the truth and it'll set you free, the Bible says. But they don't know the truth. You watch, keep your eyes open and see this happening. That's why we desperately need a revival, an awakening across this land today. We must have a move of God's Spirit. You know, it says here that you know, Jesus actually is deeply moved. And when we look at this, I'm going to back up a little bit. There, there are several ways to validate miracles. First of all, the miracle was designed to meet a human need. There was Martha and Mary. They were grieving over the death of their brother Lazarus. And they were hurting. And Jesus felt their pain. And it says Jesus weeps. He wept. He wept. The two words there. And this, Jesus is actually... <clears throat> he's. He's grieving and empathizing with these ladies over that. And some felt like it was just because he had lost his friend. But he was actually entering and he had compassion for them. 
And you know, one thing we do is we pray for people. We need compassion. Jesus had compassion on people. And we see the power of God released. I believe one of the prerequisites that we must have to see the power released through our lives as we pray for people and, and, and we empathize with people is compassion. We need to enter into that realm as much as we can and empathize with that person who has had a loss. And this is what happened with Jesus. He empathized with Martha and Mary. And Jesus is deeply moved with a divine indignation as he approaches the tomb. And his wrath is not against the people, but against the enemy, the devil himself, against death, the consequence of sin. There in the tomb lays a man designed by God to live forever. But But the enemy has interfered with God's original design, and the smell of death is in the tomb. And this is Jesus coming against the spirit of death. The Bible says to be angry and sin not. There is a holy, righteous indignation that should move us to deliver oppressed people from their bondage. God gave you and me the capacity to be angry. And that anger is not to be directed towards people, but towards spiritual wickedness that is robbing people of God's best. I have a holy indignation against people who are depressed. When I've worked in deliverance before, I see that person who many times and people that I've worked in deliverance with have willfully yielded themselves over to sin and yielded themselves to, to, to certain uh, demonic spirits and so forth. And finally, they come to the end of themselves and they realize they want freedom. And you see, when, when they come asking for help, you see the church is the place to help them. And at times when I've had the occasion to minister to people under these circumstances, I have a a holy indignation against those enemies that have come against these people. And I'm angry about it. And that spiritual wickedness that is destroying and taking people's lives and robbing them of what God would have them to do and to be. And so God is calling us to to have an empathy for people and compassion for people like this. You see, we have the answer we have people, the answer, people should be coming in here by the droves because we have the answer. And yet they're bound up by the enemy. They've allowed him. And then they finally, finally God, you know, in one way or another, they yield to the grace of God and they, they, they come in wanting freedom. And you and I, we can, we can pray. We can see them be delivered and set free. That's what Jesus came. He said, I, I came to set the captive free. A lot of people out there who are bound up like that. You see, tears stream down Jesus' cheeks as he connected with Mary in all of her pain. And the crowd misinterpreted that. And yet Jesus had compassion. You know, there's a little story here. There was a little girl who came home late one day from school, and her mother was upset because of it. And the mother immediately started ranting and raving over the fact that she'd come home late. And finally, the mom settled down enough to ask her why she was late. And the girl told her mom that today was show and tell at school. And that Sarah, little Sarah, had brought a china doll that her grandmother had given her. And on the way home, she had dropped the china doll and broken it. And when the girl told her mom that she had stayed to help her friend, the mom changed her tone and told the girl how proud she was that she had stopped to help Sarah fix her china doll. 
And the little girl looked up at her mom and said, No, Mommy, the doll was too broke to fix. She said, I just stayed to help Sarah cry. You see? We got to enter in. This is the place. The church is a place where we should be listening to people. We should be empathizing. We should be having compassion upon people that come to us who are broken. Who've been broken by the enemy has destroyed their lives. And Jesus is saying, I've come to set you free. I've come you may have a new life and live. Isn't that great? That's good news, church. And weep with those who weep, the Bible says. Jesus is doing that in John 11 because he genuinely cares about Mary's pain. Genuine miracles are motivated by compassion. They're designed to relieve that human suffering. They're not like magical tricks designed to impress the crowd. The second thing here is a miracle required people to do what they could in the situation. They had to do something, didn't they? No one there was, but Jesus was empowered to give life to Lazarus. That part of this event was beyond our capacity. And no matter how much Martha and Mary grieved over the death of Lazarus, their grief couldn't bring Lazarus back. No, long, no matter how much the crowd sympathized with these grieving sisters, their sympathy was powerless against death. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and he will supply what they cannot supply, life-giving power. And notice what Jesus does required that the people do in verse 39. He says, take away the stone. You know, how many of you here today would believe that Jesus could have just taken and either made that stone disappear, or he could have, have, have moved it out just by thinking or wherever how. He, he could move that stone. But he told the people, he said, take that stone away. Why didn't Jesus supernaturally move the stone? He was there to relieve the human suffering. He was not trying to put on a show. He was not trying to entertain these people. He required them to do what they could do. And it's the same with us. You know, you see a magician and he pulls a card behind, from behind somebody's ear or he pulls a rabbit out of a trick and, you know, they say, well, it's a sleight of hand trick and all these types of things. I want to suggest to you today, and this is just me, stay away from any of that and don't let your children watch it, please. Do you get me? I'm not getting too, obviously, uh, uh, just fanatical here with this, but a lot of times these things are very deceptive. And some people are frightened because people are seeing people levitated and so forth. Harry Potter out there are teaching witch-type things and, and so forth. And kids are gobbling up Harry Potter like it was the, no tomorrow. Don't let them read that stuff. Don't allow them to get into witchcraft. Don't allow them. Andrea can tell you in, in Ecuador, it's right here too, the witchcraft that's predominant in their society the things that are out there. Don't allow them to do it. Fill their minds with truth. And you say, oh, but that kid's just got to have fun and so forth. And there's fun involved, but it's done under the supervision of parents and grandparents and people around them, society. You remember they used to have uh, several protections for our children. First of all, there was the church. And the church guarded and then, obviously, the home and, and the church and, and the, the schoolhouse. 
and, and the government played some type of role in there anyway. You had four types of protection that were there. They're not there anymore. They're not there. A lot of times, there's not that evening uh, meal at the table to talk about what's going on in your life and then guiding them and directing them. We're so busy in life that we obviously have missed the most important things to life. And so we see those things are not in place like they were when you and I, many of us here, were kids and we were raised up. I know one thing. I was acting up on the bus one day, and here comes the assistant principal. Me and another guy was tussling. And the bus driver looked in that big mirror she's got. And I thought she had eyes in the back of her head, by the way. Because she could always spot me. And she looked back there and she saw us tussling, pulled the bus over before we left the bus circle. And the assistant principal came on there. And Lord, I knew I didn't want to talk to assistant principal, that's for sure. I was scared to death and I got down in my seat and so forth. He took both of us off of there. And we stood. And so my mother had to go out of her way to come by and get... Uh, Jimmy from detention got home and I knew I'd get it there at the school but I knew I'd get it worse when I got home and when I got in the house daddy said boy come over here I said yes sir and I came over and we all sat mama sat there and daddy sat there we sat on the couch I remember exactly where I sat and I was young boy at that time you know how it is when traumatic experiences happen to you? You remember them all your life, don't you? I remember right where I was sitting, and my mama said, James, did bother my dad's name, James, I think we need to talk to the boy. D- Daddy said, I think we, he needs a whipping. And that mama said, no. And I'm going, no, I don't need a whipping. I don't need a whipping. <laughs> no, no, listen to my mama saying we need to talk. We need, I want to talk about this thing. And well, I didn't get a whipping that time. Now, I got some weapons when I deserved it. Never was abused, but I got some weapons. I was never. Nowadays, you say you talk about a weapon and so forth, and CPS is called immediately and all so forth. Never hurt me. Obviously, hurt my hurt my pride. Never bruised me. But I know one thing. I knew when my daddy spoke, I respected him. I loved him till the day he died. I still love him. And he taught me that. So that discipline and so forth, we don't have that like we used to. And that's why I'm saying to let p- children know because they're watching this magical stuff. They're watching it on the Disney Channel too, by the way. They're watching stuff that I don't want to watch on, on the Disney Channel. Be careful. Watch and look at it too. But I want to tell you, without God's involvement, roll, rolling the stone away would have been an exercise in futility. But when the human effort is put forth in obedience to Jesus' command, it is the prelude to a miracle. And what a blessing it is to be a part of this process. How, God, how good God is to let us do our part of cooperating with him and co-laboring with him. Faith and obedience go together. Could Jesus have had Lazarus come out of that grave with a supernatural uh, wind removing the straps of the linen and claw from it, of his face? Certainly he did. But there's value in, he said, go and remove and untie him. Take the bindings off of him. See, they had seen him. They touched this revived body of a man who had been dead for years. It did something when you see it. When God works the miraculous, he does not deny the human side of the event. Now, uh, the miracle was designed to glorify God, the third thing. In verse 41, then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. 
Jesus prayed publicly there at the tomb of Lazarus. The prayer wasn't designed, obviously, to pray that, that Lazarus would come out. You see, Jesus has already prayed up when he got with the Father early in the morning. And he'd already got his instructions from the Father. And then he went forth and he said, come out of the grave there. So why did he pray? He prayed for those that were around him, for the benefit of those that hear him praying there. And some people say, well, some people say it's, hip, it's, it's hypocritical somehow to, uh, to pray in public. No, if you have the right motive. If you're wanting to bring glory to yourself and you want people to look at you, yes, that's wrong. Bring glory to God. But Jesus prayed so that those people would hear him and give God the glory here. And Jesus' ultimate purpose, even beyond the relief of human suffering, is to glorify God. And any magician or miracle worker who takes the credit is certainly not following Jesus' example. To God be the glory. And that's the theme behind all genuine miracles. And as an authorized agent of the Father, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus? Come out. And was the loud voice there for the sake of Lazarus? I don't think so. He would have come out if Jesus had whispered it, right? But here in the Greek, actually, is, is most inspiring because there's no verb in Jesus' command to Lazarus. It's just two adverbs, duro, exo, which means here, outside. So he called him outside, here, outside. And, and we think about it, this authoritative prayer. It's because he had heard the Father tell him to go and set Lazarus free, to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he had the power of the Spirit of God upon him. And that's the same with us today. When the unction, the power, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is upon us, is that we go forth and you'll see miracles as you're obedient to what God's called you to do. And this is what Jesus was doing here. God, Jesus did all of this in such a way that God was glorified by the miracle. Perhaps, obviously, we should also talk about what did not happen in our story. Notice that Lazarus didn't come out and satisfy our curiosity about near-death experiences. Humanly speaking, isn't there something in all of us that would like to know what was going on with Lazarus and what he experienced during those four days in the grave? But you see, genuine miracles are not about satisfying human curiosity. Deuteronomy chapter 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. So genuine miracles are not to satisfy our curiosity. We have to be careful because God is doing miracles. God does that. He's supernatural. But yet sometimes we allow that. Oh, man, that's, that's just great. Let's do that again, God. And you'll find many times God won't do it again the way he did it the first time. It's because you begin to hang your, head on, your hat on the miracle and not going and glorifying the Lord. So what does God say when we think about these things? Like John Edwards, he can... He, uh, he connects people, or supposedly, I don't think it's really happening, but it uh, could be demonic, certainly, with the dear old departed Aunt Lucy on his show, Crossing Over. Many people have been lured into deception because of the beginning that they were just curious. Spiritualism is a dangerous pastime. 
It may seem innocent enough to begin with, but it might sound like fun to go to a psychic or to somehow, uh, you know, your tarot cards and uh, consulting this medium and, and so forth and all this, but it's dangerous. You open yourself up to demonic spirits when that happens. And a lot of people today don't read, what is it, the horoscope? Don't read the horoscope. Don't read that stuff. Take and move on if you get a newspaper still or you see it. Do not look at it. Don't even go there. I'm telling you, it's powerful. It's very powerful. I know Christians that will go and they'll say, they'll say, what sign are you, Jim? That's what they ask me. I'm going, I don't know and don't want to know. I'm a child of God. Watch that stuff. It's dangerous. So what does God say about these things I'm talking about? In Isaiah chapter 8, it says, When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritualists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living, to the law and to the testimony? If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. In other words, no truth. Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign and wonder, and if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, and he says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. When somebody tells you they're lying signs and wonders that will come forth in this age. I believe for we, unless Jesus comes back right now, we'll be home with him, obviously. But we, we need to be discerning. The fourth thing here is the miracle invoked a moral decision. Why do people follow horoscopes and psychics and uh, extraterrestrials with a passion, but refuse to turn to Jesus with their need? Sometimes I believe it's simple ignorance. They're seeking some kind of spiritual reality. And so far, this is all they found. And that could very well be our fault. Maybe they have not encountered a genuine witness of Jesus Christ. Maybe all they've seen of Christianity is rules and regulations and ritual. And that's why a gospel with power and a demonstration of that power must be proclaimed in America by simple people like you and I. The only way. But there's another element I believe that is sometimes a factor. Most of these spiritualists and psychics are not addressing moral accountability. It's an offer of power and spirituality without any moral restraint. That is a diabolical combination and terribly destructive. Revelation, by its very nature, brings accountability. Listen to what Jesus said about the cities that had experienced his miracles yet continued in their own ways. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 through 23. He says, Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. They saw the miracles, and yet they rejected them. The miracle here in our text was associated with a revelation of truth. God's miracles are not just an end in themselves, but to reveal to us the Lord Jesus Christ here. 
There's something about who he is and what he's like that is to be entered while experiencing the miracle. The miracle is a sign pointing us to the one true God. And so this experience brought the crowd to a decision. Look at verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But look at verse 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Not only did they not put their faith in him, but they actually hardened themselves against Jesus Christ. This is amazing. They see a man who was dead for four days, and yet they were there, people that were there, saw the miracle, had heard what Jesus was proclaiming, had not been looking for the Messiah, and they turned against Jesus Christ, even though he performed the miracle. They still wanted to crucify him. You see, that's what happens many times in the world today. As people see, and God reveals himself in different ways in these miracles, and they point to Jesus, and there's a clear revelation of who God is. And yet they harden their hearts, and they go their own way. Have you ever seen it? I've seen it. They know, and I've had people tell me, Jim, you know, I prayed and I prayed, and God, 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 to use the word God, got me out of this jam. And you see, after that, I want to say, what, what, are you, what are you doing with your life as a result of that encounter? And they never, ever darken the doors of a church. They never hear the word. They never have fellowship with one another. They never hear them read the word of God. They move on. And what happens is they drift away. And what happens is their heart gets harder and harder and harder to where they can't hear that still, small voice. Today is the day of salvation. God's going to give everybody an opportunity. And when they stand before the judgment seat, God will look at them and say, what did you do with the truth? You see, it brings us, when we see a miracle, it brings us to a a moral decision of what we're going to do with it. It makes us accountable, doesn't it? And I love it because I see that, and I believe a demonstration of God's power is needed today. The preaching of the gospel, I believe God still heals, He still delivers, He still saves the lost, okay? He does everything Jesus certainly left us to be able, with His Spirit within us, His power, His his unction, his, His anointing. But there are many people will walk away. But there'll be some, the Bible says in verse 45, that some put their faith in him at that time. You see, all these people in the crowd saw the same miracle. But there are two different responses. Some put their faith in Christ, and others actually opposed them. But it brought them to a moral decision. You know, when you think about this, Miracles meet human needs. And a miracle reflects the blending of the miraculous, awesome power of God with the human participation, co-labors with Christ. A miracle is designed to glorify God. Doesn't it glorify a magician who's there because people are curious, wanting him to see uh, this jet airplane disappear or whatever. But also a miracle invokes a moral decision. That's the purpose. That's a genuine miracle. If that magician pulling that card from behind your ear invokes a moral decision, then, um, you know, I've got it all wrong, but it doesn't. It's just curiosity. 
many times his curiosity gets bigger and bigger because people begin to put their faith in that and not in Jesus. There's still miracles taking place today all around me. I've seen miracles. I've seen people healed. I've seen people delivered. I've seen people, I mean, like that. I know they're in different things I'm seeing. I believe that the dead will be raised in that sense or are being raised as God certainly gives that and speaks. But I'll tell you right now, all those things to be genuine have to come and point to God Almighty and a changed life. And when we encounter the Lord, I want to tell you, and you really have an experience with the Lord, how do you know a genuine experience is from the Lord? After the experience, do you draw closer to Jesus? Do you have a more intimacy with Him? Are you, are you just more in love with Him after that experience? Or are you basically just going through? You see, again, the enemy can counterfeit. We, as God's people, need to know the genuine, the real thing. Now, I'm not saying don't. Don't obviously seek the Lord in that and be afraid. We're not to be afraid. God doesn't, doesn't give us a spirit of fear. But I'm just saying, we need to know. We're living in times that I believe these things will begin to increase, and they are increasing, actually. And so you and I need to know what's genuine. I'm not trying to set down a set of rules and laws. I'm trying to help us learn from Scripture a sense of how God works in the miraculous so that you won't be confused or deceived by the barrage of supernatural phenomenon depicted in today's media. Parents, are you training your children to discern the difference between a sorcerer's magic and the marvelous works of the Holy Spirit? My prayer is that we will be able to, to be a people that would be able to discern the difference and to know what is genuine and what is counterfeit. These things are happening. You know, I love the song that, uh, I think it's by Casting Crowns. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and me. I have the Holy Spirit of God, and so do you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity under the leadership of God's Spirit and His anointing, as we've talked about to proclaim the good news and expect things to happen and believe that things are going to happen. I don't know what, and I don't dictate to the Lord, but I know one thing. My God is a supernatural God. And my God can do anything He wants to do. But you and I need to be, be discerning and know and be able to see that yes, that's of the Lord because it brings glory and honor to him. And it points to Jesus. That's one way we're safe and we know. Oh, be, be alert, church. No discernment's very, very, very important as we go through this, as, as we come to this time in, of history and this age of what God is doing. But remember this, we've got the other side of that the diabolical aspect of the enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's very deceptive because a lot of people today, as we mentioned, are making statements like, oh, um, you know, God, God would do this and God would do that. And, you know, a lot of it, they say, you know, God wouldn't, a loving God wouldn't send anybody to hell. A loving God would not do that at all. 
anybody. He doesn't send anybody to hell. You make that choice. You reject his plan from eternity past. And that's for anybody. When you reject that plan that God has. And that plan is Jesus. And he's the only way to heaven. And you know the deception of the enemy too that I heard so much of. He's been a good lady. but She's been a good lady. She's been a good ma- he's been a good man. He was a good father, Jim. I said, did he know Jesus? No, he, he wouldn't have anything to do with God. He wouldn't take, hey, Jim, in fact, he didn't take us to church. We went, and we went with his neighbors. And we learned about Jesus. I said, well, your father is in that. And I, I mean, I don't know a person's heart, and, but I know one thing. There's no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. That's why the deception is so great. And you see a genuine work of God's Spirit. It doesn't mean that we're, we're not perfect, obviously. We're just saved by grace. We make mistakes. We fall down. And the Bible says that we, in 1 John, that if, you know, we deny we, we sin and we make him out a liar, that we sin and fall. But he, we, an advocate, we have an advocate, advocate that we can run to and ask forgiveness. And we're cleansed when we seek him. Just know, we're in critical times. Have your eyes open. God is powerful. And he's a miraculous God. Just be discerning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your truth, your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. How great you are. There's no one like you. And I pray today here for every person here that, Lord, if they they know Jesus that you would just come in and just just reveal yourself powerfully to them. Give them refreshment, Lord, because we, we live in a dry and weary land. And yet we know you pull water out on that dry land. Your word says so. And we pray today that you would, Lord, just solidify, just get down deep in their heart the reality, the truth, the truth that Jesus is Lord. And let us live for him each and every day. That we would sow to the spirit and not to the flesh. And we would live for him every day, every moment of every day. Times are crucial that you give us discernment. But help us, oh God, to see your mighty hand. The supernatural power that you release, that you give. Because, Lord, we need that power in our lives. To witness, to share, to pray for people to empathize with people, to have compassion for people, and Lord, to see those miracles take place on a regular basis. We thank you and praise you. Bless each person here today, and I bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I just want to let you all know that You've been listening to our podcast that you're welcomed here in, at Lighthouse Fellowship, 925 3rd Street in League City, Texas. And we would be welcoming and uh, just uh, delighted to have you come and join us for worship and Sunday school. Starts at 930 on Sunday. And uh, come out and join us. And I hope you've enjoyed these podcasts. Thank you.